0: Hello and welcome back to Professor Kozlowski getting progressively more and more worked up and less and less intelligible about the Assassin's Creed franchise. Um, last time we talked about Assassin's Creed 2, how it was in many ways a step forward on the gameplay front for a lot of what Assassin's Creed had done incorrectly, and how the reviewers and generally gamers across the board hailed it as being a dramatic improvement over the first game, despite the fact that it really it in jettisoned a lot of the first game's intelligence and a lot of the first game's nuance. Now we are in the doldrums, though. Um, In the two years succeeding Assassin's Creed 2, Ubisoft very much kind of blew off any serious changes to the formula. Um, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood and Assassin's Creed Revelations have often been criticized as being basically just, like, tacked-on additions to Assassin's Creed 2. And they are very much, like, expansion-level incremental increases and not dramatic game-changing changes to the original formula. Um, They're working on, for the most part, the same Assassin's Creed 2 engine. We're still using the same characters. The plot, at least Desmond's plot, isn't advancing terribly quickly. Um, This is, in many ways, kind of a holding pattern for Ubisoft. Um, And I want to talk about this. Like, The reason why I decided to do both as one collective episode rather than treating each one uh, individually is because I really didn't think there would be enough to say about either one of them to get too terribly worked up about. Um, we kind of all know that this is a holding pattern. We are kind of all, like, patiently tolerating the fact that this is a holding pattern. And honestly, when Assassin's Creed 3 does, in fact, come out, it's not going to, you know, be the giant world shaking change of formula that we were all expecting, though it is a dramatic increase over what we've seen in these two games. Um, but on the other hand, I do think that they're kind of fascinating. Um, I do think that they really do. Change the formula, change the Assassin's Creed series in some ways that are extremely typical, especially of the way that gaming is looking at this particular moment in time. Um, It's 2010, it's 2011. These are the two years that these two games come out in. Both are November releases just as Assassin's Creed 2 was. Um, So in some sense what we're seeing here is Ubisoft is just pumping these things out every year at this point. Um, and when you see a franchise doing that, you're either expecting something with, or a franchise with enormous deep pockets and resources, the way that like the Modern Warfare Call of Duty franchise is looking at this particular moment in time, or alternatively, you're expecting something subpar. Like this is a slap together sequel with less content than you were expecting, and to some degree, that's okay. Um, I should emphasize both of these games were released as full $60 releases in their own time. I, at the time, didn't even think that they were worth that and waited until the price had come down to, like, pay $30 for each one of them. Um, this was the era when I was using a Gamefly account, which was basically like Netflix for video games. It's kind of shocking that more people weren't using it, um... And one of the various perks that Gamefly offered was they would give you the game that you were currently renting at a discount if you were being, if you were willing to pay the rest of the price. Um, you know, basically buying a used game without having to go to a store. It was kind of awesome. Um, so I basically waited on both of these games until about May of the following year and bought the two games at $30 apiece. And... I don't regret that decision. Like, I still own both. I still have both. I still play both, as evidenced by the fact that I just got through playing Brotherhood and Revelations for, I believe, the second time in both cases. Um, But this is kind of as much as they were worth, in my mind. And the fact that Ubisoft is trying to sell them at $60 a piece as this big, you know, franchise release is kind of duplicitous, kind of problematic. Um, So I want to start Like, we usually start these discussions by talking about the pitch, and I definitely want to talk about the pitch, but I also want to talk about the sort of cynicism that is at stake with these pitches as well. Because while there are some significant changes, especially between Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, um, those changes are very much in keeping with the problems and the habits of the time. Um, So Assassin's Creed Brotherhood very much hailed itself for several reasons which are themselves kind of dubious. First off, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood was more than happy to just like fall over itself talking about, hey, in this game you get to recruit more assassins to your side. Um, And this is a mechanic that's going to be consistent throughout Assassin's Creed Brotherhood and Assassin's Creed uh, Revelations. Um, And that's... Fine, it's kind of weird, and it certainly feels tacked on in in the in both games, honestly. Um, and in fact, like reviewers at the time, especially Yahtzee, very much like made fun of Brotherhood for making the most fun thing about Assassin's Creed, i.e., doing assassinations, something that you could delegate to one of the the various people that you had hired. Um, in the game, this is actually kind of an interesting addition. Like you get to at basically any time summon an assassin to assassinate whoever you're looking at you just have to be within a certain distance and be able to target them in order to get this done um additionally once you have enough assassins on your side you can have them all just show up and like shoot arrows at every garden in the vicinity and like systematically wipe out an entire field's worth of enemies um both of these are ridiculously powerful. Both of these are arguably overpowered. Like, there are just so many situations where you can just summon an assassin, do the job, and just get out scot-free and it's not even an issue. Because this particular activity doesn't, like, increase your your notoriety. It doesn't cause anybody to look at you as the, the potential problem in this case. You can use it in combat at a, the drop of a hat. Like, it's ridiculously convenient. It's ridiculously effective and it kind of makes a lot of the other approaches and and options much less useful like even the fact that they've introduced a crossbow as a sort of silent ranged killer in addition to these assassins you know it's kind of like a six of one half dozen of the other like do you in fact have an assassin available then go ahead and use him if not bring out the crossbow and we'll just kill people and no one will notice. Um, To offset this, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood does have a slightly more robust notoriety system. It does detect kills that, you know, it wouldn't have been detected in Assassin's Creed 2 and therefore you are more frequently, like, tearing down posters and, you know, bribing heralds and assassinating informants the way that you did in Assassin's Creed 2. But it's rare that you actually trigger full notoriety like without the game actually telling you you know this is scripted so now you are notorious um So, you know, as much as this does sort of try to offset the new powers that you have at your disposal, in effect, it really doesn't do very much. And honestly, you will spend more time just tearing down posters and looking for ways to decrease your notoriety than you will ever actually spend getting chased tensely by Templars or by guards who are on the lookout for you. Um, So, All of this basically boils down to you are even more powerful than you were in Assassin's Creed 2, and again, the power fantasy is very central to what Assassin's Creed 2 is emphasizing, but the difficulty has decreased significantly. Um, There isn't any corresponding change in the way that the guards sort of fight with you. Um, You do have more specialized guards in this case, which does make the fighting a bit more tense. Like, you have guards who will never be blocked, like these really strong, beefy dudes with axes or spears who can pierce your your defense, and therefore you have to get a little bit more creative about how you deal with them. Um, But the most notable thing that Brotherhood adds as far as the guard spread is concerned is now the runners can actually keep up with you um and as a consequence running out of a fight is kind of no longer a viable option because you will almost certainly get run down immediately um especially because a lot of Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is set on open field like the city of Rome which is like the one central um like major sandbox area that uh, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood offers um is kind of divided between one dense city area uh, and like a ruins area, and then uh, just wide open fields like we had in Assassin's Creed 2 with the Tuscany and the Forley maps. Um, So as a consequence, you're not gonna be able to run away, especially if you're on one of those open field maps, unless you happen to have a horse handy. Um, So that just makes it all the more compelling, all the more sort of necessary, that you end up fighting your fights with the weapons you have at your disposal and trying to do things as stealthily as possible so you can avoid those big guards with, you know, their big swings and stuff. But even if you do get into a fight, now we've automated that as well. Once you have successfully killed someone in a fight, you can basically like just tap the 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 attack button and you'll just automatically kill any number of guards until one of them hits you um so fights are also kind of more streamlined more easy like as long as you're not dealing with a bunch of tough dudes and and no weaklings then you can you know basically just kill your way through an entire crowd without breaking a sweat um and since running away isn't really an option anymore it's really tedious to do that. Um, So the dynamic of the game has changed dramatically with Brotherhood, is kind of what I'm emphasizing here. Where the first game was all about running away, where you didn't want to get into fights because they were tedious and time-consuming, and Assassin's Creed 2 very much ramped up the power dimension here, here it's all power and no difficulty. Um, we have given you too many options too many powers and all of them very effective at that and as a consequence like you don't ever want to run away you just get into a fight or don't get into a fight by like stealthily taking everybody down with your you know silent weapons and then when if you do in fact get into a fight then you just end it as quickly as possible now I should add that the brotherhood team dimension like recruiting assassins to your cause also plays out in this, really weird sort of like empire spanning doing missions across the globe sort of mini game where like you go to certain you know pigeon roosts and you dispatch your assassins to you know do assassination missions all throughout Europe um, which is fine like this is where it gets especially cynical it seems because you can dispatch them on these missions but they're literally like Basically, and a you know, a graduated spreadsheet, like you just literally say, okay, I'm sending this guy on this mission. And, you know, there's a difficulty level for each mission. So there's a, a danger posed to your assass- assassin that they might fail. But as long as you've got enough assassins, high enough level, then you automatically will succeed. And it just takes the, the assassin out of circulation for a certain amount of game time which basically has the effect of you can't summon them to do stuff because they're on a mission. Um, These missions give you a variety of benefits. They give you money. They give you the the sort of crafting elements, which I I don't even want to get into that. I was just like a huge misstep on the part of Assassin's Creed Brotherhood and the fact that there are all these quests that are like, hey, bring us this many, you know, doodads, which are obtained completely randomly, otherwise it's just a mess and just another tacked on layer of trash that doesn't make any sense for what the game is doing. Um, you can send them on these missions and they virtually have very little effect because again what just like in Assassin's Creed 2 you kind of snowball money so quickly that usually by half or two-thirds of the way through the game you're just making it and don't even know what to do with it. Um, which brings us to the next highly touted sort of you know back-of-the-box feature of this game namely You buy Rome. So in Assassin's Creed 2, you have this base that you are constantly upgrading. Like you have to go back to the base and buy upgrades for it. And you like buy new shops and that increases the value, which earns you more money every sort of incremental period. Um, So you're constantly running back and forth. This is a dramatic advancement here. Brotherhood decides, okay, we're going to do away with the base and you are just responsible for renovating the whole city of Rome. So you will buy and open blacksmith shops and doctor shops and art shops and so on and so forth. Um, when you do, the the worth of the city goes up and they, the payout, like every 20 minutes increases as well. So once again, you're in this sort of snowball effect where you're not only like making the map more accessible to you, giving you more power in the, in the form of like, you know, more readily available doctor's offices and, and banks and so on and so forth. Um, but it's also, you know, Im- improving the, the amount of money that you're making all the time. So again, you've got this sort of quasi-management Sim thing going on, except it's all gravy and there's no downside. Um, so it really is just this exponential increasing. Like you start out and you have no money and you can't even like open up the regular shops. You earn enough to start opening them up, and then by the time that you're making like ten thousand florins every every twenty minutes, now you're regularly buying shops and you're regularly opening stuff up. And finally, once you get enough money, you can start buying the actual landmarks like the Colosseum or the the tombs that dot the landscape, or, you know, the various aqueducts and stuff, um, which, again, just increases the amount of money that you're bringing in until ultimately you have nothing to spend it on. Uh, On the one hand, this is a dramatic improvement, like I said. Um... It means that you're not going back to base all the time. The base is just around you at all times. Um, And one of the various things that you can purchase and upgrade is fast travel. Like, you can jump across the city to various locations by going to any of the fast travel spots. Uh, Much like the sort of ships and and carriages in Assassin's Creed 2 would take you from map to map. Um, Which is good. Like, I like that. But on the other hand, it does just contribute to that power fantasy. Like... What Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is effectively doing here is layering more gameplay mechanics that improve the power fantasy onto the pre-existing power fantasy. Um, From a storytelling standpoint, it kind of works. Like the whole plot here is that the Borgias have taken over Rome and have let it go to pot. And your job as the assassin is to sort of patronize and buy up all of these businesses, encourage the people to support you by doing so, and sort of raise up an army of assassins and, you know, like, people And in one of the story missions. Like, there's a whole riot and you use the people to to sort of, like... put pressure on the Templars and finally break into an area that has otherwise been locked off. Um, That works, like that's pretty cool. And as a sort of philosophical underpinning for this game, I, I think it's pretty effective it's a sort of dramatic improvement as far as your interaction with the environment over what Assassin's Creed 2 was doing, which was basically say, okay, this is just an Ezio story. It's just about his quest for revenge. And, you know, like the, the assassins are just against the Templars because principles and philosophy and we're not actually going to like show how that works on a a ground level um, except like where the thieves and the, the mercenaries sort of team up with you at various times here it's more palpable like you are in fact a benefactor to the community you do in fact represent not just a philosophical but a practical difference in the way that you govern now the practical difference is kind of out of sync with the philosophical difference if you think about it like the templars are supposed to be all about order and you know opulence and especially like in some of the the truth sections in this game, it emphasizes that they are like actually, you know, big patrons of the capitalist system. Um, but here they're just like, Eating and drinking and getting and like having sex apparently with each other. Like, there are heavy overtones of incest in the, among the Borgias, and I think that that's fairly historically accurate from what I understand. Um, and they're just letting the entire city of Rome fall into ruin while they do. It, it just kind of doesn't make sense. Like, if the Templars are so, you know, committed to like universal peace, etc., then, you know, wouldn't they also be like supporting the city and making sure that the citizens are happy. Like, instead, it's just force and, like, military rule, effectively. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here. Um, What I want to emphasize is that all of these things are kind of endemic to gaming at the time. Um, Like, all of these elements that have been layered into the game, they sort of emphasize a lot of gaming trends that have been going on in the 2010s and 2011s. Um, So, for example, like in order to open up the shops, like, they te- they are locked while they are under the control of the Templars, which is represented by the Templar Tower. Like, there is a Borgia Tower in each sort of district of the city, and before you can open up the shops, buy them out, and, like, improve the make the necessary improvements, you have to find the guy who is in charge of the tower, assassinate him, then go to the top of the tower and literally blow it up. Um, this is... Almost beat for beat stolen, if not just borrowed, from the Just Cause 2 franchise and a number of other, uh, like, similar sandbox games that have come out at this point in time. The mechanic, like, the earliest that I can remember it is actually way back uh, in the original, like, Godfather sandbox game. They had this thing where, like, it was a central area, which was the stronghold of each district, and you had to, like, destroy it bust in and, like, kill all the enemy gangsters in order to, you know, liberate the district and and be able to, like, convert it to your needs. Um, So while the, you know, plot of the Godfather game was going on, you also had this, like, sandbox objective where you were busting up these these strongholds and, like, uh, improving your city across the board. And that had to be something like 2008 or 2009, uh, when the Godfather game w- had come out, and like I was playing it, and, like it was while I was in college. So you know, it was a fairly early Wii release, as I recall, because I played the Wii version, which was just hilarious. Because you know, you're using the motion controls to like strangle people. It was really weird. Um, anyway, uh, I know the mechanic had been in those circles for a while, and at this point, Ubisoft just like drops it in no explanation just this is a popular thing that other sandbox games are doing we can put an assassin's creed coat of paint on it and make that a part of what you are doing and it does feel out of place like it works because again they make it an assassination thing like you have to find the guy and then you have to kill him and then you go up the tower which you know is a climbing thing which is an assassin's creed thing but again like for just cause 2 or something it made so much more sense it had much more palpable gameplay benefits here it's just you can't go into certain areas or you can't O- unlock certain uh, facilities. You can't, like, open up certain certain uh, conveniences and services until you do this one thing, which is really annoying, um, because obviously this is, like, the first thing you want to do. You want to go to all the towers and break them up so you can, like, liberate all of these areas and, and start bringing in more money but because it's really hard to say when you're in any one district it'll be a lot of time that you'll just be walking around go up to a shop and be like oh sorry it's locked because there's this tower over there that you didn't see and the game will literally like stopped and show you the t- tower it's really frustrating um, there were multiple times it was like, okay, you can't access this shop. And I'm like, all right, well, where's the tower? And then I would go to the tower and it was blocked off because it was, you know, part of a story uh, quest or something. Or, you know, they're, they're not unlocking this particular area until you get farther along in the missions, which is just maddening. Like, throughout Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, far more than I did in, honestly, either the first Assassin's Creed, which famously cordons off, like, a third of each city, um or like only opens up a third of each city to you the first time you walk in like more even than that i was just running into these walls like okay so i can't do any of the stuff that i want to do because the game is literally like slapping my hands away here and it was just annoying it was obnoxious um so on the one hand like yes hooray for new mechanics the the tower thing works reasonably well here but it just feels out of place feels very much stolen from the other other games and then they implement it so sort of like poorly that you end up just wandering around like okay so what can i do next or do i just have to follow the story missions while i am still poor and weak and, and unable to you know progress as far as i'd like to it's very frustrating um, additionally, in addition to, like, stealing the the tower mechanic from other sandbox games, you've also got just a lot of just mooching off of Uncharted. So, at this point in time, if I'm not mistaken, Uncharted 2 had come out and been one of the most successful games on PS3 to date. Like, it was this, you know, the, the first game was fine, it was kind of dull and, and kind of slow paced but the second game very much like ramped up the pacing did all these exciting like god of war-esque sequences where you're like climbing your way up a building or something and like the whole thing is falling apart and like there's, there's just all of these really cool action-packed scenes in this kind of Indiana Jones and that uh, sort of like navigation, puzzle solving, and shooting game. Um, and Assassin's Creed 2 has clearly been taking notes here. Like Assassin's Creed 2 has been using the same sort of traversal mechanic as Uncharted for a while. Like they've just, you know, applied it to this sandbox area with a lot of buildings and, and sort of cityscape rather than, you know, ancient ruins and Tomb Raider style traversal. Um, so that that's always been in the rear view mirror. But here, when is that when... Uncharted 2 is starting to, like, take this and, and apply it to action sequences. Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is like, okay, we can totally do that as well. So there are multiple sequences which are very scripted, where you're, like, climbing, navigating a certain area, and, like, the ruins are falling apart, or someone's shooting at you while you do, or you're, like, chasing after a boat or something, and you have to, like, get past it at a certain time. Um, like, multiple of the, the sort of underground areas, which, you know, in the first game you were, like, Look, looking for these assassin tombs so you can get the seals, you can get Altair's armor. Here, you are looking for the armor of Romulus. Apparently, it's there's like this cult of Romulus worshippers who are like hanging out under the city, and frequently you have to like chase them around, and you know go like do these sorts of real fast paced, dramatic, like action packed traversal sequences. Um, in order to, to sort of track them down or, or like to get ahead of someone so you can assassinate them. Like, it's a, something that Assassin's Creed 2 did once. It's something that Brotherhood does like three or four times. And again, like, they work well enough, it's fine. It's just out of pace. If Assassin's Creed 2 layered a bunch of gameplay mechanics together and sort of tied them into a thematic unity, here we have the multiple elements, but not the unity. We don't know why we're doing this stuff. We don't know why we're tailing this guy, or why we're, you know, spelunking in this area, or why we're following Da Vinci's machine to, you know, this other totally unrelated map that you've never seen before. Um, some of these elements work, some of these elements don't work, In but none of them kind of fit together. Like you're doing six different things at any given moment, and the gameplay and the tone will like dramatically change, sometimes jarringly, as you're going from mission to mission, doing side quest to side quest. Um, and on some level, I don't know, it kind of works. Like, again, giving the player a whole bunch of things to do is kind of the whole point of a sandbox game. But the plot here is so weak, and the, the sort of trajectory is so weak, that it really lacks the consistency that Assassin's Creed 2 had like it doesn't have the same organic quality to it it's just and here's something else to do um here you are in the middle of a mission where you're like helping your, your general friend organize the, the militia to fight against this French general. And now, oh, you're doing a secondary mission, which is helping Leonardo da Vinci get his machine destroyed. Or, oh, now you're, you know, underground fighting the, the Romulus guys. Or now you're doing this like really dramatic, you know, traversal mechanic from Uncharted. Like all of these gameplay elements just don't fit together. They, they just are disparate things that you can do rather than sort of all aspiring to one common overall goal. And you tack onto that the, the fact that you've got like the assassinate, the recruiting the assassin missions and sending them off to various places where, you know, presumably they're doing exciting things, but it's just literally allocating resources on a menu as far as you're concerned. It's just a lot of stuff for no reason. And this, again, absolutely reeks of contemporary game design at that point in time you're stealing the the action sequences from uncharted you're stealing the towers from just cause you're stealing all of these skinner box mechanics from like free-to-play idle games and facebook stuff and Farmville. you know in order to make you feel like you're progressing when really you're just not um and like the worst possible example of all this, like the clear, like most obvious example of just doing things because everybody else is doing them is Assassin's Creed Brotherhood introduces the multiplayer mechanic. Like Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed 2 did not have multiplayer at all. They were clearly single player games designed around the campaign. Here in Brotherhood, you get a tacked-on multiplayer mode, which is like the most 2010 video game design decision in the world. Like, this was happening to all of these single-player focused games at this point in time. Like, I think friggin' Dead Space got a multiplayer mechanic back in 2010 and 2011. It just doesn't make sense. Um, And from what I hear, like, I actually tried it out for the first time replaying the game, and it's fine. Like, it was actually pretty good. The whole multiplayer thing is, you know, here you are on a crowded street, and like, you have to assassinate this one guy, but somebody else is looking for you, and you know, you don't know who is out to get you versus, you know, what you're, whether or not you're getting an actual person, so you're just like navigating around carefully, trying to blend into your environment, looking nonchalant, and then just taking someone out like it works it's fun but it's again kind of meaningless and empty like the the overall structure is you are a templar agent learning to ferret out assassins okay fine but what does it matter like besides the you know completionist mechanics besides the desire to get one over on the other guy what does this really offer so, you know, here we are. Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is guilty of basically all of 2010's gaming sins. It is stealing action and cinematic gameplay from Uncharted. It is stealing the tower mechanics from from Just Cause. It is stealing the tacked-on multiplayer from virtually every other tacked-on multiplayer game at this point. And at this point, Ubisoft is positioning Assassin's Creed to be its answer to Call of Duty. Like, this is going to be our yearly release that everybody buys and everyone is excited about and is always rated very highly, and it isn't that. Like, that's the thing here. Call of Duty has a huge, like body of resources behind it. This is Activision's number 1 title. Like it has been around even in 2010 for quite a few years at this point. It is thoroughly bankrolled and it is bringing in tons of money all the time. Assassin's Creed is not. Like Assassin's Creed 2 was very successful and made a ton of money. I don't want to deny that, but we are not talking about Call of Duty figures here. Like Call of Duty is the most po- popular powerful franchise in 2010. Nothing can compete with it. It is steamrolling the competition. The fact that Asa- that Ubisoft, with its much more limited resources and development team, thinks that it can keep up with that model is frankly insane. And it shows. Like, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, as far as sheer length is concerned, is about half the length of Assassin's Creed 2. And that's being charitable. That is assuming you are doing all of the optional busy work missions, like, you know, all the Leonardo da Vinci missions or all of the Borgia Tower stuff. You know, that implies that you are, in fact, going around buying up all the shops. It's still only half the length of Assassin's Creed 2, but more importantly, the campaign is just minuscule by comparison, like Assassin's Creed 2, and we talked about this, set up this sort of dynamic where it's like, okay, so you've got three essential things that you're doing. You're either, you know, traversing the area like the thieves, you are blending in with the, with, uh, the, the crowds like the, the, uh, the courtesans, or you are engaging in open conflict with the mercenaries. And here in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, you literally get one each of these levels like you have a couple of opening stuff where you're introduced to Rome and the new mechanics and like Machiavelli is apparently the head of the local order so you're like taking orders from him now and then you have like three main campaign levels one with you know the mercenaries one with the thieves one with the courtesans and then the game is like over like you do one more assassination-ish mission to try and get Cesare Borgia who is like the main enemy now and it backfires so you have to like chase him around in yet another Uncharted style action sequence and then you kill him and then it's like roll credits um which is rough like I loved Assassin's Creed 2 because it allowed you to sort of get comfortable in your environment to sort of realize the area to to sort of immerse yourself in Florence and Venice and the other locations that you end up in. In Assassin's Creed Brotherhood you spend virtually all of your time in Rome and it is still just secondary to you. Like Rome is not nearly as well developed as Venice or Florence was in Assassin's Creed 2. It is it's got its own character for sure, but and that character is appropriately a sort of mishmash of different cultures and, and styles and architecture and so on, because Rome is famously the city that has endured like six different regimes at this point in time and stolen half of its artifacts and architecture from other nations and other places, like, that makes sense. The fact that there's a pyramidal tomb outside of the city walls, yep, that tracks. The fact that, like, you're rebuilding aqueducts from the ancient Romans, yep, that tracks. The fact that you're jumping from, you know, Renaissance-era building to Renaissance-era building in, like, the, the city center, yep, that tracks. Um, the fact that you are traversing the, the ruined Colosseum itself, yeah, all of that fits with the city as it is. It's just there's no distinct character here it's all of these things and none of these things and it's like painfully apparent when you were walking through some crowded city street and some rando shows up with a horse and like totally diverts the 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 whole traffic flow of the various pedestrians you you're sort of keenly aware of how much these diverse elements just don't fit together how it is sort of just inappropriately all tacked together So on the one hand, if disunity is our thematic unity, it does kind of work. Like, I'm not saying that this is a bad game. We'll get to that. But it doesn't fit. All of the various little doodads and things to do just kind of all orbit this unknown, unidentifiable center. Um, It's literally just a game in that sense you are a player, here are all the things that you can do, here are all the diversions you can undertake, you can do missions for the Romanis, or or rather missions for the courtesans, you can do missions for the thieves, you can do missions for Da Vinci, you can do missions for, you know, tracking down the the Romulus worshippers. Cool. Is there a central plot here? No. No, there is not. You are building the assassins, like, organization in Rome. That is the central plot. And that's really all it is. Like, yes, your overall goal is to take out Cesare Borgia and to sort of, like, undo the Borgia Empire, but we can't let you do that because, according to history, Cesare has to get arrested first, and Cesare has to, like, go to war, and then you will track him down on a battlefield and kill him there. Like, it's painfully sort of allegiance to the history and in doing so is forced to either conjure up fake people for you to assassinate like Cesare's various minions like the banker for example or alternatively it's not paying off at all and you have to kind of like wait for the game to get around to letting you kill these people who are supposedly the enemies. It doesn't make for a story. Like I said last time that Assassin's Creed was going to have a difficult relationship with its historical uh, like its historical accuracy just because a lot of the time it wasn't going to be fun to let historical events play out the way that they did. Um, and the franchise had to kind of walk a strange and uncomfortable line between, you know, are we going to be as historically accurate as possible, as factual as we can... Or are we going to just make up stuff so the player can actually feel like he's playing a game that is fun and entertaining and interesting and engaging? And this shows how awkward that marriage actually is. Because you aren't doing assassination missions. You aren't assassinating notable members of the community. You don't have that brilliant progression in Assassin's Creed 2 where it's like, we're going to introduce you to all the villains you know, in their conversation and show you like the way that they're manipulating the community before you go and assassinate them nope it's just Rodrigo and Cesare doing their thing and you occasionally get to like sit in on their conversations or something and then you're not allowed to kill them because you know they die later in time like after 1503 so you know have fun building up Rome in the meantime it's awkward um so Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is awkward in that sense. It is again just a wide variety of mechanics thrown in for your sort of amusement to sort of improve that that like Skinner box like keep playing keep you know keep following the franchise so when we release the next game next year you can play that too. You know it, it is very much just marking time. Um, so let's talk about the actual story here. Like In Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, the story, again, is you're following the the Borgias, Cesare, Rodrigo, and Lucrezia Borgia specifically, but you're not allowed to assassinate them because, again, you know, the time isn't right. It'll, like, your confrontation with Cesare is the big, climactic battle at the end of the game, but it comes after a wide, just, gap in time and some really nonsensical, like, jumps in in pacing and tone. It, It just it just doesn't really work. Um, like, in the meantime, there's, like, this sort of subplot about how maybe Nicola Machiavelli is betraying you, but, of course, that's just a misdirect, and, like, turns out you have to save him at the last minute from from the, the fox, like, uh, killing him, and it's very much a non-starter. The only other major historical figure you get to assassinate is the the general in charge of the French army which is supposedly attacking but really you only ever see them in like locked behind a stronghold so again it's just one area in your city which is frequently blocked off for no apparent reason until the story decides to let you win. where the real story development is going though is in the other side, the Desmond contemporary world like plot line. Um, so you were supposedly on the run from the Templars at this point. Like we last saw Desmond and the Scooby Squad um, like fleeing Vidic in the, the Templar invasion of their little like warehouse base. And apparently now you're in Italy. Like I don't, don't ask questions. You're in Italy now, um, and you actually go to the assassins' headquarters from Assassin's Creed 2, um, like the big, uh, the biggest state where where your uncle you know is is like the head of the head of the place. Which P.S. He is the one who was assassinated at the very beginning of the game by Cesare Borgia. So I guess you're taking revenge in the most like out of the way and indirect possible way in the Ezio story, but whatever. It's just more more Uncharted-style nonsense at the beginning of the game, I think, to draw you in. At any rate, the whole plot here is okay, you are hiding out from the Templars and you are looking for the Peace of Eden. You know, the same one that, like, we were looking for, or that Ezio was looking for, and that was supposedly hidden away under the Vatican. Like... You start by trying to find the location and, and trying to figure out like exactly how to get into this location. And then you will, in fact, go down there, go to the Vatican, infiltrate, and find the Peace of Eden. And the big plot twist at the very end of the game is you do successfully find it, but it like takes over your brain and then it forces you to stab Lucy and kill her. So... We already talked about how difficult the historical accuracy and and the various connections with the characters are here. This is just the worst ending. Um, This game has had a problem with women throughout. Like in Assassin's Creed 2, I cried foul where in the one mission on the Carnivale, like you have to stop this guy who murders the the various courtesans and is like threatening them and you have to like chase after him. It's very bad in that whole, you know, Anita Sarkeesian tropes versus women, like using women in refrigerators to motivate the protagonist thing. But Assassin's Creed Brotherhood does this like four times and it's just uglier and uglier every time they do it. Um, The one mission that struck, that rankled me the most is there's apparently a mission where like one of the courtesans is like, "Hey, this guy drugged us, and then he beat us up, and I want you to go beat him up." So you know, this is fairly typical in Assassin's Creed Two. Beating up disloyal husbands was actually a fairly fun little mini game that they had you do from time to time, um, and it you know, this is reminiscent of that, um, but. This one is a misdirect. Like this courtesan goes to you and and she's like, hey, it's that guy over there. And you beat him up. And then she's like, wait, no, never mind. It wasn't that guy. It was some other guy. And then you walk halfway across the city and she's like, there he is. And you beat him up. And she's like, oh, wait, no, never mind. It wasn't that guy. It was some other guy. And then you like beat up a third guy. And she's like, I'm sure one of them was the right guy. And I'm like, oh my God, I know it's 2010 and we haven't done the Me Too movement and we haven't, you know, had the whole discussion about like believing women and and trusting, the listening to the victim rather than, you know, the person accused of, of sexual transgression. But this is just so bad. Like, not only is it, okay, so this guy beat me, um and you know i don't know who it is but then i'm going to randomly accuse people until we get the right person and at the end of the day really who knows maybe i wasn't actually beaten at all like talk about undermining the the testimony of women here and just broadcasting that for all to see like the gender politics in this game are truly awful And then finally, you get to this big end, you know, finale where you're jumping around trying to get to the piece of meat, and you finally get to it, and then you just kill Lucy for no reason. Like, this game could not be worse about its depiction of women. Like, there are a couple of strong women. Like, this is actually Claudia's opportunity to get really cool. Like, she takes over the courtesan's area and becomes, like, an assassin in her own right. The game actually makes a big deal about, you know, inducting her into the assassinations guild like at one point you're worried that she's under attack and it turns out she's got the whole situation under control like that's really cool and the way the the game handles claudia and and her development into a full-fledged assassin is really well done but the rest of the time and again like the sort of discordant tone in this game very much undermines its attitude towards women because On the one hand, we've got like, hey, Claudia is super awesome, but also courtesans are not to be trusted. And also, you know, it's okay to kill women if it's for plot purposes and to motivate your main protagonist. Like, it's just painful. And Lucy dies for literally no reason here. Like, I'm pretty sure there is a reason. And the reason is they couldn't, Uh, afford to keep paying Kristen Bell to like stick around you know she's she's making frozen Disney money now so you know we can't very well just have her as our like relatively no-name you know quasi-recognizable voice actress like we did in Assassin's Creed 1 and 2 Um, you know she's a big get at this point Um, and she's probably sitting there thinking okay well there's no way I'm going to do the crappy Assassin's Creed franchise anymore which is fine like good for her get out of this thing while you still can Um, so instead we just kill her, like, in the most pointless and stupid way possible. Like, Minerva's forcing you to do this, like, so it's not even a Desmond is a terrible person and needs to, like, contend with his own, you know, crimes thing. Instead it's just a... This was a casualty of war. And in Assassin's Creed Revelation, this is literally how Sean and Rebecca talk about it. Like, this was just a casualty of war. They don't blame Desmond. There is no plot consequence for him. It's just, hey, these things happen when you're messing around with, like, supernatural alien devices from, you know, the ancient world. It just, it hurts. It really hurts. And especially in light of how bad Ubisoft's track record is with sexual harassment and its sort of company culture. Like it's hard not to see this now playing it in 2022 as evidence of how messed up that company actually was. Um, So just the whole story is a wreck here. where I said in Assassin's Creed 1 and 2 that these games had aspirations to being something greater than just, you know, playthings for children, where they were essentially doing scholarship and even aspiring to artistic, like, you know, at least conformity and, and like artistic aspiration, you know, it's all gone here. Like Assassin's Creed Brotherhood literally is just a game. That's all it wants to be. That all it That's all it is. It has moments that are good. It has moments where it transcends that, but they are rare and are even more rare than they were in the game's past. And just overwhelmingly, it feels like something to pass the time. And it does it reasonably well. Like, it was pretty rare that I wasn't having fun playing Assassin's Creed Brotherhood in some sense. But considering how often I was cringing at the delivery or, again, at the game's sort of treatment of women, or just asking myself, like, why the heck am I doing this, especially if it was a particularly frustrating thing, you know, it was bad. Like, it was not a good game. And I mean, I don't mean to say that it is a bad game, like, that it doesn't do the game part of its game correctly. It's just that that's all it has. Assassin's Creed 2 had its narrative and its gameplay woven together, somewhat skillfully, even if it didn't always jive. Here, the gameplay is just follow the thing. Do what we tell you to do. Um, and the fig leaf of it connecting to the narrative is just lost, gone, discarded. Like, it's, it was something that I noticed fairly early on, but um, every time that you, you know, start a new mission or, or start, you know, a new sequence, the game just dumps you in wherever it wants you to be and gives you a little marker to say, go here, and that's it. Um, like literally every sequence again, the sort of pace of Assassin's Creed 2 follows on the ass- pace of Assassin's Creed One here. In so far as it's like, okay, you know, we're going to let you, you know, drop you in whatever the the area. We're going to open up a new area for you to explore. You're going to explore the area. You're going to do missions there. You're going to get familiar with the area, and then bam, we're going to finish it off at some big assassination mission. Here again, there are fewer assassination missions. You will have a few of them, and again, most of them are like made up historical figures to sort of poses allies to Cesare's cause. Um, but we're just going to dump you in the same starting area, like centrally located Tiber Island, where the Assassin's Creed hideout is, and we're going to have you just go to wherever our mission is going to start. But we're not going to tell you why you're going there. We're not going to explain why you need to be at that particular point. You're just going to follow the, the icon. Um, and I said, you know, in Assassin's Creed 1, like, you could do that, and it was discouraged. You would be punished for it. In Assassin's Creed 2, you can do that, and it is encouraged. It usually moves the plot along. It's okay if you're just doing that. In Brotherhood, you need to do that. There's no explanation for where you're supposed to go next. Just follow the icon. Follow the, the marker on your minimap. Do the thing we tell you to do. Don't ask questions. So it's very clear when the story starts up, when you see some cinematic of you and, you know, talking to Nicola Machiavelli or hanging out with the other assassins or, you know, helping Claudia graduate, it is just totally disconnected. It'll, you know, wrap up and then you'll be dropped back in the city and then it'll be like, okay, go someplace else, arbitrary and disconnected from what we were just doing. It's rough. Um, you know, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood has some good moments. I like how we've, you know, decided to... to dramatize and and sort of like talk up, you know, traversing big historical monuments, like climbing around the Colosseum is a lot of fun. Um, And having it be, you know, these recognizable buildings like the Vatican, like the Colosseum, like these uh, old baths and tombs, that's really cool. I like how I like how there is this sort of undercurrent about you know being this organization of the people and, and gradually reconstructing Rome because it was you know neglected under the Borgia rule. I like that. but just if you're asking, okay, is the story any good, it's like, what story is there? Um, it's totally divorced from all of the little busy work missions that you're doing. It's totally disconnected, and it very much feels like the entire game is just this tacked-on series of mini-games to a much superior game that it just doesn't fit with. This doesn't seem to be a continuation of Ezio's story or of Desmond's story. It's just marking time until the next big thing happens. You are supposed to be able to skip these games, to go directly from Assassin's Creed 2 to Assassin's Creed 3 in some sense. You'll lose nothing by doing so. But if you do play them, they apparently give you something in the way of lore or insight or progression, even if it doesn't really make sense, even if it doesn't really follow, even if the events are not logically connected to one another. You know, as horrifying as it is to see Lucy die, it's just horror, like empty, meaningless. There's no reason, there's no theming, there's no point. It's just more violence against women because that makes us gasp that's all. And that's really cynical. Like, the fact that this game was just thrown together in a year to meet quotas, to, you know, keep the income going, to keep the brand recognizable in the consumer's mind, like, this is what this game feels like to play. Uh, by contrast, Assassin's Creed Revelations shows a lot of intent, which is just weird. Like, Assassin's Creed Brotherhood sort of introduces a wide variety of new gameplay mechanics, new mini games, and it's sort of experimenting. Like, which ones do you like, which ones you don't like? We will keep the things that that work, and we will throw out the things that don't. We will augment the things that almost worked. And Assassin's Creed Revelations clearly delivers on it. Assassin's Creed Revelations jettisons a lot of those sort of pointless, extra missions while keeping like the Borgia Towers and making them more integral to the whole experience. Um, It keeps the the assassin recruitment missions and also augments them so you know they're more of a part of the the core experience. Um, But it's also careful about this it isn't including these just random side quests that don't do anything or go anywhere. We do still have these Uncharted style, dramatic, like cinematic, exciting missions, but now they're tied to your overall quest. Namely, you know, FCO is looking for the keys to get into the vault of Altair, the library of Altair, which supposedly has some great secret or weapon or or, or something like that. Presumably another piece of Eden. Spoiler, it's another piece of Eden. or maybe the same one, it's kind of hard to say. It's very confusing. Um, suffice it to say, you end up with an actual reason to do these things, a reason to go spelunking and to, a reason to sort of like jump and navigate these crumbling ruins or, or you know, deal with these Uncharted style puzzles. Likewise, the assassination or the assassin recruitment missions are very much thematically integrated with the story. Like, each time you recruit an assassin, you raise them up to a certain level, like using, again, those sorts of missions that you did from the spreadsheet in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. But now, you know, when they they are, you know, leveled up to a certain point, you can make them the head of one of the various bases that you have around the map. Those Borgia Towers from Assassin's Creed Brotherhood are now Assassin's Dens and they have been taken over by the Borgias, so you fight, or they've been taken over by the Templars, so you fight off the Templars, you regain your den, and then you put an assassin in charge of the place, which prevents it from being taken back by the Templars, as well as giving you story missions that sort of coincide with these these sort of protégés' uh, career developments. Like, they are characters. They become part of the story. They're not Seamlessly woven in, for sure, but it's a heck of a lot more careful than it was in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. On some level, I think Revelations is the mirror opposite to what Assassin's Creed Brotherhood was doing. Um, Revelations does incorporate a couple of new mechanics, but not very much. Like the two major mechanics that uh, Revelations introduces is uh, in a, like in addition to changing the the like. Borgia Tower thing to be the Assassin's Dens and changing the Assassin's Creed Brotherhood missions for your assassin recruits to being this like ongoing mini game where you're like actually fighting Templar influence and they're trying to take over the cities that you've liberated while you try and defend them and fight them off which is way more engaging if way more distracting. Um, the main two like actual on the ground level gameplay changes are you have a hook which allows you to, like, zip line from place to place, which is pretty cool. And you have these bombs, which you can craft, like, something like a dozen individual bombs possibly more. I'm maybe getting my multiplication incorrect. But you're basically using any number of shells with any number of potential like ingredients to create bombs that are useful in different situations. So for example like in the earlier games you had the smoke bomb which you just dropped at your feet and then it like cast all the smoke which distracts all the Templars and you can like assassinate them really easily which is really powerful and effective. I talked about it in the last lecture. Here yeah you've got your smoke bomb but you've also got a bomb that like disperses poison, so you can, like, throw it at a group of Templars, and then all of them will be poisoned. Or you've got a bomb that, like, throws coins everywhere, so it distracts all of the the passersby and, like, makes it more difficult for the people, for pursuers to get through. Um, You've got a bomb that, like, Shoots lamb's blood all over the place, so everybody thinks that they're wounded, which causes the templars to be distracted. You can take them off while they're while they're dis- distracted. You've got a bomb that just makes a loud noise, and it causes the templars to like wander over and see what the deal is. Um, this is interesting. Like again, it is more power in your in, at your disposal, but it doesn't feel especially powerful you know, having just played through Revelations, there were a lot of times where you had to deploy these bombs very strategically in order to make them terribly effective. Um, Some of the, like, you can't just drop a bomb in the middle of a fight because you're likely to get stabbed in the process. It takes some time to do that. Um, You have to position a distraction bomb fairly carefully and hide while you're doing it or people will find you as soon as you let the bomb go. It opens up new approaches, but not necessarily new power in that respect. Um, Likewise, all those different guard styles, like the really strong dudes who can totally break your your counter, they're back, and they're nastier. So the fights are actually trickier as well. You're not just systematically ripping through uh, Byzantine guards the way that you uh, ripped through the Borgias in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Um, And additionally, running is now a much better option no, a number of your bombs help you with running, like the caltrops bomb, which slows down your pursuers, or again the coin bomb that like gets the crowd to, to sort of serve as an obstacle. Um, so once again, you're spending time running away from your pursuers. The balance is right here. Yes, some of them can in fact hunt you down, but you can usually evade them if you are quick at like navigating down alleys or or you know reversing your direction very quickly. So in that sense, the gameplay isn't being dramatically changed here, but it is being dramatically refined. If Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is throw all these ideas at the wall and see what sticks, Revelations is like, okay, we don't need any more new ideas at this point. Let's take the ones that we have and perfect them. Let's make them actually work in the environment, in the story, in the overall theming that we've got here. Let's make the stuff that has made Assassin's Creed great even better. And in some sense, this is true about Constantinople, the city as well. Like, Constantinople is honestly way more compelling than I expected it to be. Like, I remember being surprised when I first played Assassin's Creed Revelations and being like, wow, this is actually a dramatic improvement over Rome and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. And I stand by that. Um, you have the same mini-game going on here, the same like buy up the shops in order to you know improve the, the income of the city. But now in addition to you know landmarks actually being worth something instead of just being sort of like you flaunting your wealth at the end of the game, the balance of the income is actually pretty well executed as well. That whole minigame where you're sending the, the assassins to various parts of Europe to like keep the cities under control, that gives you income now, but you have to spend money in order to make it, so we have another place for your money to go. Um, so for the first time since Assassin's Creed 2, I was still trying to get more money when I beat Assassin's Creed Revelation. Again, we've refined it. We've polished it. We've turned this into something that is united with the goals of the story and the overarching goals of the game. Um, with the, again, like the assassination recruitment missions, when in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, you're just like recruiting dudes and then sending them off on missions in order to level them up. Here, because we have actual story purposes, because we do in fact have quests for the various like leaders of the Assassin's dens, you do have more agency. It does feel more connected to the overall story. And what's more, it pays off. In some of the later missions of Assassin's Creed Revelations, you actually have all of your fellow assassins teaming up with you to get through the arsenal and to get to, you know, the guy who you're trying to assassinate. Now, I should emphasize, in Assassin's Creed Revelations, you honestly do something like two total assassinations. Like the rest of the time somebody else does the job, or like the story sort of takes you out of control of the situation. Like as far as actual story-purposed assassinations go, you kill like two, maybe three guys, and one of them turns out to be an error. You're not supposed to kill that guy. He was working for you all along. Oops. Which means there are fewer assassinations, and we are focusing less on that sort of power, you know, fantasy that that has been so primary in Assassin's Creed 2 and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. But also, you know, we're kind of wandering away from where this franchise actually started. Like as much as I'm stressing, you know, no huge changes here, more refinement in Assassin's Creed Revelations. Really, there are some changes. The structure underlying and quiet is changing. Due to the fact that there are all all of these other mechanics, all of these other layers to these games now, Revelations kind of pays attention to this and recognizes we're not going to be doing assassinations front and center anymore. They are not going to be the sort of one main thing that Assassin's Creed is all about. Something that will be even more obvious the further we go along in the franchise. Um, but here in Assassin's Creed Revelations, as much as you know, I bemoan the fact that like the central mechanic of the game, like the thing that made Assassin's Creed 1 and 2 great, is now mysteriously missing, the other thing that's kind of worth noting is it's not that noticeable. There's enough to do. There's enough important other stuff going on. There's enough other cool stuff to keep you distracted. And it does seem purposed, unlike Brotherhood, that I didn't miss the assassinations. Um, Like, there are enough little side quest assassinations that it makes it worth your while, like you're still doing that sort of thing. Each one of those, you know, raising up your protege to be an assassin involves what is effectively an assassination at the end. Like, that's pretty cool, although frequently you're not the one who does the assassination. That is actually tied to the point here. Like, everyone in the game calls you mentor in Assassin's Creed Revelations, and it's very much emphasized that Ezio has become not an assassin but a teacher of assassins a trainer of assassins still capable of doing the job in his own right like everybody admires his skill, sure and he's not so old that he's you know unable to do stuff Um, but it is very much emphasized that you are bringing in the next generation here like Brotherhood was suggesting that kind of subtly just mechanically but the story never emphasized it here in Revelations it's front and center um, like, you were immediately introduced to Yusuf upon entering Constantinople, who is this charismatic assassin who has apparently lived in Constantinople all his life, and he's the one who introduces you to the new mechanics, like the fact that you've got this hook on, on your one blade and all the bombs that you get to use. He is the expert insofar as, like, he knows the city, he knows the technology, he knows the, the specific distinct characteristics of the Constantinople branch of the Assassin's Guild. But Ezio has the skill. And so Yusuf calls him mentor. Like he trains you at the beginning of the game, but it's very clear that Yusuf is looking up to you. And his relationship to you is is just reinforced every time that you meet him. Likewise, all of the assassins you recruit, you're recruiting with that same sort of relationship in mind. They look up to you. You are training them. You are sort of guiding them to becoming the people who will take over once Ezio has given up the blade, which is very much emphasized the end point of this game. Like Ezio does not sp- like explicitly renounce it, but it is clear that his priorities are elsewhere, um, especially because he is getting more and more entangled with this pretty girl from Florence, um, Sophia, who... It is clearly implied that she is, in fact, a historical figure. One of the great paintings of the era was apparently of her. and They they point to it fairly often. Um, But also, she just connects to him. Like, she shares his love for old things, his love for, you know, secrets and mysteries. So she is your companion in the last missions of the game. And you do have to save her from the Templars in typical, you know, damsel-in-distress fashion. But something that is way less egregious than what Assassin's Creed Brotherhood is, because nobody actually kills her and you are not at any point like responsible for saving courtesans from being murdered or, you know, blaming them for, you know, getting their targets wrong or whatever Brotherhood was doing at any given moment. Um, she actually works. She's a part of the game. She's the one who finds out where you're supposed to go to find the keys that Altaïr has left behind because she's the one who's deciphering the books that you're finding around uh, Constantinople. So she does, in fact, have a relationship with Ezia. Like, as much as all of the favorite characters from Assassin's Creed 2 came back in Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, your connection to them was weak at best. Like, they just showed up, did their thing for a chapter, you followed their rules, and then you did whatever mission they had, and then you moved on to the next one like they never existed anymore. Here, we're introducing all new characters, and they do, in fact, fit with this world. They do, in fact, fit into the Constantinople environment here. And as a result, the city feels real. There's a good, reason to build it up, to sort of like change the way that the Templars are running the show. It doesn't have that sort of discordance that Assassin's Creed Brotherhood had all the time. And while the facelift that has also accompanied this change, like the engine itself has been modified to, to sort of like change the way the faces look and the buildings, you know, it really uh, it like encourages the detail work, like all of the fashion, especially in Renaissance uh, Turkey is just Gorgeous and the the buildings are all worked like intricately with typically Arabic and Ottoman patterns. Like the game is gorgeous to look at in a way that Brotherhood just wasn't. Um, And that fits here as well. Like it works with this sort of just ornate environment and this ornate world they've created. And honestly, I have to say, Constantinople has got to be one of my favorite cities to wander around in, as far as the Assassin's Creed franchise to this point goes. Like, if Rome might be the nadir, then Constantinople is right up there with the likes of Venice and Assassin's Creed 2. Um, so what I'm saying here is, this is, if Brotherhood was kind of a very poorly put together game that kind of works on its own just variety and entertainingness to play, as much as Revelation would logically be a step down, like another slipshod, like chucked out there in order to keep the franchise going yearly release, it kind of isn't. It's got more depth to it. It's clearly exemplifying more care. And it seems honestly, that the same developers who imagined Assassin's Creed 1 and 2 in the first place, the ones who sort of laid the groundwork, wrote the mission statement, are back here. Um, Once again, we have the moral gray area. Like, again, Ezio, one of his assassination targets, turns out to be working on the same side as he is. You know, he thinks that he's in fact betraying Prince Suleiman, but in fact he's working for him. Ezio is just not aware of the sort of machinations going on behind the scenes. Um, So once again, we have that sort of moral gray area. Like, not everything is just a pure power fantasy here in Constantinople and in Assassin's Creed Revelations. Um, What's more, some of those, like, end, you know, close to the assassination monologues are back. A couple of the the main assassination targets gets to, you know, wax poetic about their philosophical approach. And Ezio is once again leaning on that, that, you know, refrain from Assassin's Creed One. you know, we have the same goals, but our methods differ. Um, We even have this really great conversation at the very end of the game where, you know, Ezio and and, and his girlfriend are walking through the ruins of Masyoth. And she asks, you know, what is the Assassin's Creed? And Ezio explains, you know, it's, you know, nothing is true. Everything is permitted. And she says, that sounds really cynical. And he says, as a creed, yeah. But when you understand it as a statement of reality, when you see that nothing in, or nothing is true is actually, you know, a comment on the, the way that truth can be manipulated, the way that, you know, that you can change the perceptions of people. Um, then it makes sense when everything is permitted is said is spoken like you know you can do whatever you want. Yeah, it is cynical, but when it means that law is just a you know concoction of human society and therefore needs to be protected, therefore needs to be you know nurtured and encouraged, that shows the, the sort of nuance that I was hoping to see way back in Assassin's Creed One. Like, it's just drips and drabs here. It's not, you know, backbone to the story the way that it was in the first game. But it shows that intentionality again. It shows that the entire franchise has gotten back onto its philosophical footing, at least to some degree. Once again, we are interested in the theme here. In Assassin's Creed 2, we kind of left the theme by the wayside. We're here to tell a story. We're here to introduce a whole bunch of new cool game mechanics. We're here to make you feel powerful. In Assassin's Creed Brotherhood, it's all power. Forget the story, forget the thematic unity, forget all of that. Like, we're just here to give you toys to play with. But in, Const- in Constantinople, in Assassin's Creed Revelations, we're back to that. We're back to looking at the intrigues between the sons of the of the sultan and inquiring about the way that this world works, the way that these politics work, the seedy underside. You know, Assassin's Creed II and Assassin's Creed Brotherhood assured us Assassins are always good and Templars are always bad. Here in Assassin's Creed Revelation, Templars are still bad and Assassins are still good but the mechanisms of power will use either one of them according to what is convenient for them. Suleiman himself is presented as the good son and indeed he will be one day the ruler of the Ottoman Empire and considered the greatest ruler that the Ottoman Empire ever knew. Um, but at the same time, the mechanisms by which he comes to power and the, the ways that he uses his power are dodgy, and he doesn't apologize for this. Like, he straight out talks to Ezio in some pretty frank discussions about how power should be wielded, and yeah, sometimes that involves murder and assassination. Like, Ezio asks him straight out at one point, is that the way that your father would have done things? And he's like, no, but I'm not my father. I do things my way. You know, he is enlightened, he is a scholar, but he is also pragmatic. And he recognizes that sometimes you have to get your hands dirty to get things done. And the the sort of division between Suleiman and his brother, um, which you end up taking sides on, his brother turns out to be the secret mastermind behind the whole Templar uh, organization in this game. The, The way that their perspectives differ is Suleiman is enlightened, scholarly, believes in that enlightenment, believes in that diversity. And that's you know, kind of the mission statement of the whole game. Suleiman tells us, you know, this world of Constantinople is a diverse world. It has many different perspectives, many different attitudes. And to disrespect that, to try and sweep it all under one form of order, one form of government, is to just invite failure. In Revelations, this is the philosophical sort of like tipping point here. You know, I said way back in Assassin's Creed 2, like I wanted to, or way back when I talked about Assassin's Creed 1, I want to see how this freedom versus order discussion works in each time period. And here we have a glimpse of it. Here we get, through Suleiman's lines, this glimpse that diversity is the key that separates freedom from order. That if order has to quash diversity in order to achieve its aims, then A, it won't work and B, it is doing a disservice to the entire human notion of order in the first place. What point is, is there to order if certain groups are excluded from that order? Whereas the goal of freedom, the Assassin's, you know, sort of like talking point, you know, why freedom is better than order for most of these characters through most of these games, is because it does acknowledge and embrace diversity. In some ways, this mission statement kind of a like retroactively applies to a lot of what you've been doing in the last couple of games as well. Revelations elevates the material has that has come up to this point. It gives a thematic through line that unites AC2 Brotherhood and Revelations in saying that it is the thieves, it is the, you know, mercenaries, it is the courtesans and the Romanis, it is the underrepresented groups that form the backbone of true society like that's a heck of a thing to say as a theme. Um, So Revelations does have stuff on its mind, and it is a return to form in that sense. Like something that I really was looking for and found wanting, especially in Brotherhood, but also in AC2, here it's back. And here it offers a sort of promise, a, a, a sort of invitation to more. Uh, more examination of these sort of cultures and their perspectives, more recognition of that freedom versus order conflict and how it can play out in various times and places, more promise as far as like looking at these stories and cultures and treating them earnestly, making that the priority rather than just giving you a toy box full of doodads and mini games and just letting you wander wild in them, even if that is what the gaming community is actually clamoring for. See, Revelations actually got a lower review than Mo- than AC Brotherhood for most reviewers at the time. Revelations was considered the inferior game, probably because it was just retreading the same material, because it didn't introduce a whole bunch of fancy new mechanics, because it didn't, like, just overwhelm the player with this power fantasy and admittedly, like, Revelations isn't perfect. The Desmond parts of the game are just practically, like, incoherent. We do get this whole, you know, him sort of, like, walking back through his memories, and you sort of, like, have this whole, sort of, separate game where you're in first person mode navigating these spaces, and he's reminiscing about his experiences. And it's fine. Like, it doesn't work, and it doesn't fit with what the Constantinople sections are doing, but it's easy enough to ignore them the way that you could ignore a lot of the Desmond stuff in in Assassin's Creed 1. Notably, Assassin's Creed Revelations is also the first one that just does away with the conspiracy theory nonsense. Like, Assassin's Creed 2 had all those search the painting things for the little doodad, and and then like, oh, it turns out that this is a conspiracy that's been going on for millennia, and Adam and Eve are actually, like, very excited about it. Brotherhood actually does something really weird with it, which I want to talk about, and we'll get its own time. But Revelation just ignores it. It's just not there. It's gone. Jettisoned. And I am fine with that. Like, by all means, get rid of that. It was, you know, annoying when it, like, at worst, and just a distraction at best. Um, Here instead, you know, You've just got the Desmond sections, like bringing more of the Desmond story to the fore, which is going to be important for AC3 when this thing finally wraps up. Um, But what I want to emphasize is that the reviewers missed what Revelations was actually doing, what Revelations was trying to get back to. Uh, Revelations was trying to tell a story and to some degree succeeded. Revelations, like the first two games, is aspiring to art rather than just being a game. And the cost for this is we're not going to focus on the gameplay elements, and that's why people got mad, I assume. Um, Revelations is overlooked in that sense. It is better than people give it credit for. It is not just another sequel that should have been an expansion, another $30 game pretending to be a $60 game. It is, in fact, trying to get the series back on its original footing taking certain steps to reminisce about the first game and that's super obvious here like this is not just me doing my interpretation speculation thing like you literally live through parts of Altair's memories that we didn't experience before, including, unfortunately, the time that his wife got murdered. Oops, I guess Revelations can commit some bad feminism fails as well. Um, But also, it includes a copy of the first game in case you didn't get it. Like, literally on the same disc, you can boot up Assassin's Creed 1 and play it through. Um, So... All in all, like, this game is connecting back to Altair in a way that even Assassin's Creed 2 was hesitant to do so. It is very much hearkening back to the tone and the morality of the first game. Like, it's clear that this is really a return to form. And that's kind of one of the mission statements going forward here. Like, if the developers at Ubisoft are saying, okay, Brotherhood really wasn't what we wanted, yeah, we recognize it was a mess, let's focus and make this game what we want it to be. And to some degree, it works. It's not perfect. It's still making some missteps. It's hanging on to some really weird mechanics. And yeah, that I didn't even talk about the tower defense mechanic, which makes sense because... The first time I played this game, I didn't use it except the one time that they made me through the tutorial. It is totally optional, and honestly, it is the game is designed that you will only play it if you've really badly screwed up. Um, like the notoriety gets so high that now the the templars attack one of your bases. Like that's what it basically comes down to. Um, there are definitely missteps in this game, and it definitely isn't unified. But there is like where Brotherhood was just a mishmash, like a whole bunch of different departments in all likelihood, contributing completely diverse, completely, you know, disconnected elements without any connecting through line. Assassin's Creed Revelations is like two thirds through line and one third crap that the executives made us put in because they needed something to put on the back of the box. Like, yes, it does have those corporate elements and those corporate elements are, you know, difficult to miss, But there is also an underlying story here that somebody cares deeply about and that somebody is telling very carefully. And that makes up two thirds of your gameplay experience. That will be what you spend most of your time doing and interacting with. And that, if that's the best we can do, that's kind of unfortunate, but it's still probably the best we can do. Now, the one thing that I do wanna sort of throw in here as this last comment, like, if Revelations is sort of working as a united whole with some stuff that just doesn't work tacked on to it, unlike Brotherhood, which is just tacked on and tacked on and tacked on and tacked on, the one thing that I did notice that really like threw me about Brotherhood until I sort of figured out what was going on, um, Brotherhood actually, you know, I said that Brotherhood continues the whole conspiracy theory stuff, like the looking at photographs and looking at pictures and decoding secrets and, you know, all the Da Vinci code nonsense that irked me so much about Assassin's Creed 2. It is included here. Like once again, you're sort of tracking down the leavings behind of Subject 16. And now there's like holes in the wall and you climb into the holes and you go into this, like the, the deep guts of the animus and you're like exploring what Subject 16 has to tell you. Um, Here, though, it's way more contemporary than it was in Assassin's Creed 2. Like, you're not looking at, you know, old paintings and old, uh, like, you know, pictures from the early 1900s. Like, there's a little bit of that here. But actually, this is a really modern, really contemporary take on the whole Assassins versus Templars divide. And... The whole through line of, of these, you know, 10 little secret missions, the the quote truth here, just like it was in Assassin's Creed 2, is that apparently the Templars are all capitalists and the Assassins are all communists. Like, that sounds really reductive, um, but it's actually borne out in shocking detail and like gets really super political and polemical here. Like, more than I would ever have expected from a video game, especially a big-budget video game like this. Like, there's literally a part of this whole The Truth section where you just, where you, like, are taking the little infrared doodad and you're going over the, the a picture of the U.S. Supreme Court like, circa 2006, like, four years before this game was released, and you find out that, like, Anthony Scalia has a Templar ring on his finger, and this unlocks... This letter that Scalia supposedly wrote to his Templar superiors about how they're getting, they're moving Sandra Day O'Connor out of the way so they can hire Roberts, a Templar bigwig, to the Supreme Court so they can pass the like Citizens United bill in order to get corporations carte blanche on funding like, on funding campaign ads and stuff. Like, stuff that literally is two, three years old for this game, it is commenting on and saying, like, this is an evil Templar plot. And I just, you know... On the one hand, it's ham-handed, and it doesn't make sense, and it's tone-deaf, and, like, when you're showing, like, Maoist protesters in China, you know, supporting the, the new communist regime, and you're, like, revealing assassin symbols on it, like, that's just really like completely unaware of the actual historical circumstances surrounding you know the cultural revolution and what exactly the assassins are supposed to represent like no way in god's green earth was Mao a supporter of you know the everything is or nothing is true everything is permitted assassin's creed like not by a long shot um but nonetheless this is a hell of a thing to see like It is shocking to see a game just stand so firmly on this polemical basis, to say communists are good and capitalists are bad, to point to living American politicians, you know, major figures like, controversial in their own right and say, this is a Templar, these are the bad guys, this is a bill, a work of legislation released in the last five years that clearly demonstrates a evil Templar agenda. Like, even in that letter it specifically says that, like, W. Bush will, you know, instigate war in Iraq and this will be a great distraction for this particular Templar agenda. Like, I you got to put this in context. Roughly, I want to say it was in the mid-2010s, like 2015 or 2016, Ubisoft was releasing its Far Cry games, which are also sort of walking a fine political line, and one of the ones that they released um, was this sort of, like, look at American urbane culture, and it's like this American cult in the backwoods of, you know, like the American country and it's this, you know, charismatic cult leader, Jonestown style, who is like recruiting all these guys to, you know, like declare war on the government. And, and, you know ubisoft was challenged on this and they're like ubisoft is specifically apolitical like we don't actually have any political stance here we do not in fact have a horse in this race we're just making games and you know a whole bunch of blowback came back from all these critics and pundits who were like hey you know everything is political you can't have a non-political game and then they played the game and they're like actually this is really cowardly and there isn't a real political stance here and like the, the game is reluctant to even portray these characters as Republicans." Um like, this is clearly just a non-political cult of some kind, even though it ends with, like, the destruction of the entire American society. Um, Ubisoft is not alone in this. Most game developers are terrified of stirring up political sentiments. They want their games to be edgy and, you know, possibly get a conversation going because they need that conversation to happen in order for the buzz to work in order to promote their games better. But they can't take one side or the other. Everyone has to think that they're on their side. They can't be anti, you know, alt-right because the alt-right are going to buy their games and they want the alt-right to buy their games. But here, just... This is as inflammatory as I've ever seen a AAA game get. This is as polemical, as political, as I've ever seen a AAA game get. And unapologetically so. Like, on some level, this was one of the most compelling parts of the game. It was still obnoxious to get through. Like, the puzzles were even more just cryptic and completely unintelligible um, as ever they were in Assassin's Creed 2. Um, They were obnoxious and distracting from the main experience. But at the same time, I was playing them with my jaw drop. Like, how in hell did they get this approved? Like, I have to think, to this day, somebody snuck it by the executives. Like, somebody snuck it by the QA department. Somebody got it approved and then just went hog wild, like, just putting communist propaganda into this thing. Like it is real close to communist propaganda and especially underlying the Assassin's Creed brotherhood thing of like, you know, we're fighting the Borgias and we're raising up like the, the the people to fight against them and we're recruiting people to be part of the assassins. You know, it was surprisingly Frank about its anti-capitalist sentiments. And, you know, I have to think that some executive somewhere just, approved it without looking at it or didn't trouble to get through the the difficult puzzles or something because they were nasty hard. I had to think that somebody on the team was just undermining the whole organization and just like sticking this stuff in the game because they had no oversight because nobody cared because they said tack on something and they did. What I'm trying to get at here is first off it's batshit crazy that anyone put this into a game in the first place that like a legit like denunciation of certain Supreme Court justices, You know, like, Roberts is still on the bench today, from what I understand. Like, my politics is bad. I had to go look up all this stuff in order to understand exactly what the references were. But, again, I'm pretty sure that's what they wanted me to do. So, congratulations, random communist sympathizer working for Ubisoft in 2010. Um, You got me to look up what the Citizens United bill and to get mad about it. So, hooray. Um, Or rather, the Citizens United decision, I should say. Um, On the one hand, it's batshit crazy that this happened. But on the other hand, it's clear that this is, again, disjoint from everything else that's going on in AC Brotherhood. This is clearly a game put together by a studio that's just slapping stuff together to make their release date. To the point that they're overlooking literal like dissenting propaganda from disgruntled employees, as far as I can tell or as far as I can speculate. To the point that they probably realized it afterwards, and that's probably why they cut it from Revelations. Why that did not appear again, and was just junked altogether. Um, What we're seeing here is, again, the sins of 2010 and 2011 becoming real. These are cash grabs. These are capitalist efforts to, you know, make money at all costs, to keep up with the, the whole gaming environment, the whole thing. And I was honestly very encouraged when I learned that they were going to take a little more time with Assassin's Creed 3. That they were going to give it a rest for a little while. Um, But we'll talk about that in its own time and how successful it was in all efforts. Um, On the one hand, Brotherhood and Revelations are throwaway titles. And this is showing that now that Assassin's Creed is the flagship franchise for Ubisoft here in 2010 and 2011, that they're going to do this, that they're going to, you know, just pump out games in order to make money, that the priority of artistic integrity and, you know, telling a good story and making sure that the player has a good time is going to be secondary to just shipping the damn thing so we can make our money back. Um, It's clear that both of these are half-baked titles, rushed out the door in a year with, you know, obvious glitches and problems and engine, you know, errors that need to be updated. But these also show the sort of two ways that those rush titles can go. You can get a giant mess that is just a whole bunch of new ideas thrust at a wall, let's see what sticks, like Brotherhood was, which is fun enough in its own right, but not at all an engaging experience, and definitely not a good game or a good work of art, or even terribly faithful to the Assassin's Creed legacy and its aspirations to historical fidelity and you know artistic integrity. Or you can get something like Revelations, which doesn't actually add a whole lot to the franchise, which really is just treading water, keeping time, but is also refining and polishing, trying to make the experience better, trying to deliver somebody's artistic vision of what this franchise could be. Uh, Both have their merits. Both have really interesting things about them, and they are both very interesting to talk about. But they are both in this sort of half-baked holding pattern. They are both just rushed out the door to get more people to buy the game. And when, in fact, after Revelations was released and they announced the third game was going to be about Revolutionary War America, I literally rolled my eyes. Like, that was the last thing I wanted. But it's clearly just pandering here. Just, okay, we're gonna make the Americans happy by selling specifically to their demographic, by tapping into their patriotic sentiments. Like, the literal front-of-the-box picture is like, the main character committing an assassination in front of a Revolutionary War flag. Like you can't get more just pandering than that. And on some level that's what that game is going to be, but we'll talk about it in its own time. Brother Hunt Revelations both eschewed a lot of risks, but the risks that they took I think paid off. Um, where they play safe, the game is at its weakest where Revelations is willing to make some fairly bold choices, to go back to a Middle Eastern setting, to go back to a, you know, moral gray area instead of just clear pandering and power fantasy. I think that that was smart. I think that that made for a more engaging experience. And I think that that's kind of where we see Assassin's Creed sitting at this particular point in time, caught between its corporate goals, delivering a power fantasy that is engaging to play and that caters to what players specifically want or think they want, and a more artistic aspiration, something that does in fact try to capture the spirit of an age, talk about its philosophy, and engage with its major historical occurrences and and, uh, figures, and a game that does uh, aspire to a sort of thematic unity in exploring this historical period. Um, I think Revelations is the way forward here. This is what I've always appreciated about the franchise. This is what I see want to see more of, and that's why I like this game considerably more than Brotherhood. I think Brotherhood is a dead end, and it is very obvious in being a dead end, in being just pandering and disengaged and disconnected. Um, for next time, we'll talk about Assassin's Creed 3. how it manages to balance all of these conflicting goals all of these conflicting urges all of these you know discordant opinions about what it needs to be from fans from critics from developers and from the executives who are running the show um we'll look at how it succeeds and how it fails, how it manages to be the next big Assassin's Creed game, how it manages to close the whole Desmond story, and and how it manages to sort of advance this Templar versus Assassin's conspiracy, but also talk about how it functions as a work of art in its own right, how it succeeds and how it fails. Um, So next time, which I have no idea when that was going, when that will turn out to be Like, playing through Brotherhood and Revelations took less time than I anticipated, Um, but I have no idea what my schedule is going to look like in the future, so who knows for Assassin's Creed 3. We'll talk about it when we talk about it. Whenever that turns out to be, I do look forward to talking about it with you. Hey, thanks for listening. I look forward to having some new content out next week for you. In the meantime, I highly recommend that you check out my other projects on professorkozlowski.wordpress.com, which is the sort of center for all of the things I'm doing online these days. Um, And please, if you like this, share it, subscribe to it, send it out, get everybody to know that I'm making lectures and talking about something that you're interested in. Um, The more listeners I have, the more people I have following me, the better chance there is that I'll be able to continue doing this. And if you can, please consider contributing to my Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Professor Kozlowski. Um, I've already got a few patrons. We are up and running. Uh, but the more money I'm making through this prog- project, the more I can devote my time and energy to my projects online and the less I have to worry about things like rent and feeding myself. Um, so please keep, keep listening, keep sharing, keep subscribing. And as much as you can, keep contributing. Uh, I'll see you soon.